0: Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this episode of FTW with Ahmad Khan. I'm your host, Ahmad Khan. Joining me today on this We Need to Do Better edition is Stephen Asarch, And later on, we'll be joined by Will Hershey of Roundhill Investments. Stephen is a freelance journalist, often covering sexual harassment cases within the YouTuber and influencer space. The gaming and esports world is currently reeling from an ongoing flurry of allegations being levied against prominent people within the industry. Even as a journalist, it's been difficult to keep up with everything that's been going on. The reason I ask Stephen to come on is because he has the experience in writing about these issues and knows how to manage the influx of uncomfortable and difficult information. So, Stephen, as a journalist who had to wade through very serious allegations, how are you able to report on stories like these?
1: Well, I think that the most important thing is to believe victims, no matter what. I think the, the baseline is to believe what they're saying and then try to prove it from there. If it ends up being false, So be it. But when you're a journalist, it's very important to try and cover as much of the situation as possible and get every side. When I did my stories, I did one uh, with a Twitch streamer named Graphis slash Black who um, sexually assaulted slash harassed at least six different women. There was Onision who groomed an underage woman and then had sex with her. There was... few other ones that are escaping me right now but the the most important thing is is to always believe the victims and try and gather as much evidence about the situation as possible because you weren't there you have technically no idea what's happening besides the statements from you know he said she said and the the text messages and the stuff put before you and it's it's up to you as a reporter to try and put those pieces together into a coherent narrative that shares the story of of whoever you're trying to speak to it's often very stressful and tedious work because you have to fact check, you have to make sure timelines match up, and with all of these recent allegations that have been coming out, they're you know even harder to corroborate because there's just so many of them, and a lot of these people don't want to talk.
0: Hmm. You know, it's the I, I've been getting DMs on Twitter from uh, women who have been affected or know of other women who have been affected. Uh, some of the allegations have already been made public and public statements have made. Some of the allegations have not been made public and are equally as serious. As somebody who writes for you know, the major newspapers in America right now, is it odd for me to, when you know when they're saying like, this person sexually harassed me, and for me to kind of make the calculus, like, is this something that a major publication will care enough about to like allow me to cover? Because- it is such a niche space, and therefore, like, I should only be searching for the more grotesque or more serious allegations? Sure. When
1: I was at my former place of employment, Newsweek, trying to get these stories out was always difficult. The higher-ups did not care for my work, and they did not want my work on the site because... They didn't understand who these people are, these allegations that are coming forward, and why should they give it credibility when they don't even know the world exists? So it's absolutely very difficult to get those higher editorial people to understand what you're getting at. And I think, personally, if I was to approach this story, I would do it the way Taylor did it at the New York Times, and try to do as many as possible, and try and, you know, get as many of these stories They speak volumes of the industry when put together. You know, if you want to put two or three into one little thing, you know, it it might not have the same oomph or impact as as showing how widespread and and rampant this, you know, problem is. Unfortunately, games journalism mostly does not have the journalistic ability to back it up because most games writers are hobbyists turned professionals who don't have the proper training and the proper knowledge needed to approach these sexual assault stories with the, the cadence and the and, and the proper, you know, skill to, to bring it all together. I think more outlets should be covering this. I think everyone should at least have some sort of story and reach out to somebody because this is incredibly important to the space we're in. But, you know, you don't want to, you know, some games press might not want to piss off
0: certain companies or piss off certain people. And that's that's part of the problem. You know, it's like during this one time where I I've had friends tell me that they they want to be done with this industry, that they don't want to report on it anymore. And I understand where they're coming from completely. But at the same time, you know, I look at the esports space. I mean, how many like truly full-time reporters are there in the space. It really is incredibly few. And to lose, you know, that a few freelancers here and there that are trying their very hardest to bring important stories to light while, you know, so scrounging to pay their bills. Like I don't want them to quit because the industry needs reporters to stay on and bring these stories to light. At the same time, I'm not making a very heartfelt pitch because the industry still isn't keeping pace with the level of journalism that's required.
1: Well, then, unfortunately, it's it's still a hobbyist industry. The thing I'm really sad about leaving Newsweek is that there's one less outlet covering these important issues. You know, gonna it's it's all about the clicks. That's that's all that matters at the end of the day. Unfortunately, at most of these outlets. Uh, you can, you know, try and do good work, but if that work isn't isn't read as much as, you know, your Fortnite SEO, how to find the chest guide, the higher ups who don't necessarily understand what you're talking about either way, see that this story you spent a lot of time on and they spent a lot of money on just isn't pulling in the traffic. So why bother? When traffic becomes the main goal, journalistic integrity basically becomes irrelevant because you don't need it. You need to, you know, keep the lights on. You need to make advertisers happy. And, you know, a sexual assault story that might pull in a lot of views might not, you know, be what advertisers want to advertise on anyways, because, you know, games is, it, it, you know, if you look at how developers are treated, if you look at how people in the industry are treated, the end product is what mattered. And, you know, it doesn't matter what crunch or what people cr- get crushed along the way. It's it's very depressing and journalism is getting screwed over most of all. Well not most of all, that's not a fair assumption to say, but a lot. And there's just not as much games writing out there that's really good. It's either, you know, heavily opinionated SEO clickbait or, you know, attempts at writing good stuff. And the third option is, is very few and far between when compared to the previous two. I think when it when it comes to, you know, reporting on this stuff and trying to be as professional and responsible as possible, the 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 thing you always do and the thing I always tell myself when I write these stories is I am just the messenger. My goal isn't to editorialize, my goal is not to impact my opinion. I am here to tell your story. I tell that to every victim. I make it perfectly clear. Whatever you're comfortable sharing is what, com- is what I will ask you and what we will use. If you don't want to have your name, fine. We'll try to find some way around that. If there are some details to a story that need to be filtered out, I will you know, ask what you think is appropriate and what you think is fair. You're giving me the opportunity to share your story. And I think that's the most intimate and special relationship a person can share. And I am not going to disrespect you and, you know, destroy that opportunity. If, if I ever had a, you know, person who I wrote a story about uh, who shared their most intimate life details and then was, you know, hated the story and thought it was disrespectful, I'd be heartbroken. I think when it comes to trying to write about all of these new allegations that are coming forward, um, other, other than the few outlets that, you know, see it, you know, as a, as a, you know, flash in the pan of a way to write about gaming, the, you know, average gaming's press might not be doing the best job.
0: And also speaking to some of the people that have been messaging me, I had to make it clear that I can't guarantee the, you know, a, a story for them either, right? Like, it's an uphill battle on my end to, you know, get at, editors to really care about it. And the other thing is that I think ultimately a lot of journalistic outlets, especially from freelancers, they don't want rundowns. They want original reporting. So if somebody is like, hey, look at this Twitter twit longer post that I made that accuses this person of X, Y, and Z. Uh, Could you write an article about it? I would imagine that the conversation my editors would be like, well, this person has already, like, stated this stuff publicly against this individual. What would our reporting, like, what original reporting would be, Would we be able to really bring to it?
1: Well, I think there's always context that can be added. A lot of these Twitlogger posts are, you know, written by people who might not necessarily be writers and are trying to get out incredibly intimate details. The people I've interviewed, like Onision, Sarah, had already spoken to, you know, other people but i sat down with her for 2 hours and went through every single detail of the story and i think if you want to approach their stories that they've already told is you try and expand on you know the systemic issues around these why these women are telling these stories what actually happened to them you know how it affected their lives ask these you know questions trying to figure out the, the, the whole scope of the situation while still being good enough at what, you know, the the story's original intent of just sharing information while also being able to, you know, give you a wider grasp and sense of the situation.
0: How would you respond to somebody either within the industry, whether they, you know, if they're a streamer or somebody who covers the industry like a journalist when they hear that somebody that they were friends with or that they really looked up to ended up committing a horrific act?
1: We as humans don't necessarily know the people in our lives as well as we know them. Disregarding parasocial relationships and, you know, how people feel about content creators, the people in your own social circle, you have no idea what they do behind closed doors. You have no idea, you know, you think you know someone, but in reality it comes to terms that they're actually a predator. That's something you have to deal with. Personally, if it happened in my life, I would reach out, try and get their side, and then take it from there. If the information is, you know, too, you know, much and it's it's very clear that either you're being gaslit or they're trying to share false information, then the option is to either call them out or cut the conversation out entirely and make sure they're not a friend anymore because you don't want your, you know, friendship with them or your credibility to allow them to be able to prey on other people. Like stories I've read about, you know, people using friend groups and having, you know, oh, I'm with my friends, but, you know, I don't really know this guy, so maybe he's all right, and then, you know, falling prey to um, their predatory actions. It's clear if, if you think someone is a, is a predator and, and, you know, doing these awful things, the, the answer is to, as I said, find out their side and, and cut communication. It's a, it's a difficult, difficult issue that can't be resolved with a simple Band-Aid but you need to stick true to your moral compass. It's all we have left.
0: Mm. You know, I remember watching the video of Bill Burr kind of reacting to the situation revolving Louis C.K. and when the piece came out in, like, the New York Times saying that he had actually committed these improprieties against women. Bill, his reaction, because, you know, he's friends with Louis, like, he actually started to well up because he admitted that what his friend did was objectively awful, But he's, you know, it's like they're still your friend. So you feel obligated to want to be there for them and try to help them out. Yeah, I
1: think each, you know, person is different. Like with the uh, Bert Kreischer situation where he got, you know, dosed with Molly against his wish by Ari Shafir. And, you know, Bert at the end of the day ended up forgiving him. But that's each person having to deal with their own situation. Louis was a a predator using his position of power. And Bill Burr is, is also a white man in a position of power. It's a lot harder for them to be able to, you know even put themselves in the mindset of these women who were used. But if they are able to, it's, you know, harder to, you know, to let it slide. If someone in my world had, you know, accusations levied against them and they were, it was very clear that they did it, it'd be a lot harder for me to be their friend because, as I said before, I wouldn't want someone to be able to use my friendship or platform to be able to prey on other people
0: yeah yeah you know it's uh it's interesting a friend of mine who's uh in the gaming industry like you know i'm trying to figure out you know he did something that he probably shouldn't have and has now stepped away from the gaming industry and i'm i feel compelled to send him some kind of message but i still don't know what so i'm like kind of tr- seeking advice from like imams or religious leaders that may have dealt with situations like this and you know trying to find a proper response and i don't know i just i just feel that i think reaching out with a hello
1: is appropriate you just have to make sure you're there you're not getting gaslit and you know when they you know predators lie they need to cover their tracks and make sure that you know you're not you know thinking ill of them so you have to make sure when speaking to them to always keep that in your mind to make sure that am i getting used am i just being tried to push an agenda or a narrative that might not necessarily be true to try to give it, you know, um, to give it objectivity. And that's truly, that's, that's awful. I would reach out, but past that, I I have
0: no idea. Yeah. Steven, thank you so much for jumping on. Thank you for having me. And now we're joined by Will Hershey, co-founder and CEO of Roundhill Investments. On Monday, Microsoft made the surprise announcement that Mixer, its online streaming platform that's been competing with Twitch, will be closing down and joining forces with Facebook. So Will, someone who's been covering this space, did this announcement feel like it hit you out of left field? Yes and no.
2: I think when you look at the streaming landscape in the West, which is really what we're talking about here, Mixer was a very tiny piece of of the bigger pie. I mean, you have Twitch and YouTube that have controlled the large majority of the streaming viewership for the past several years. And Mixer obviously uh, invested a fair bit of capital and time and money into trying to compete with the big guys going after you know, Ninja, Shroud, big name streamers. So in a sense, the fact that we hadn't seen an uptick in viewership on the platform after they had invested all of that money makes me not that surprised that they decided to call it quits, but... When you look at really what I think is going on in streaming is you have big tech companies. Microsoft was obviously the one behind Beam and then Mixer or post Beam into Mixer. Really for them, I thought it made a ton of sense to have that platform up and running in time for the new Xbox launch. To me, the timing of it is very suspect. If you wanted to have a, a kind of quote unquote top of funnel to pitch your new game console, The time would be right when you're launching it. So like the timing is a little bit unusual, but it's just a very competitive space. And I think they probably made the right long-term decision. Once again, the timing is suspect, but they weren't gaining market share. Ninja and Shroud's viewership was down 70, 80% from what it was on Twitch. So clearly their thesis of we can build a successful platform by poaching top talent from our competitors was, was proven to a certain degree wrong. And I think that, that brings up kind of this broader discussion of within the world of game streaming and streaming more broadly for that matter, what matters more in the grand scheme of things? Is it the content and the content creators themselves, or is it the platform and the network effects of having everything in one place. And I think if you want to look at Mixer as kind of a factor in, in trying to draw a conclusion there, I think you'd have to say the platform carries a ton, a ton of weight, right? Twitch really hasn't slowed down despite losing several top streamers to both Mixer and and YouTube to a certain degree. So I think that's really interesting. But I think at the higher level, it's a very competitive industry. And I think that consolidation will continue on a global basis. So Not only are we seeing Mixer kind of merge into Facebook in the West, in the US, but there's rumors right now that Tencent is actually pushing for Huya and Douyu, which are the two largest game streaming platforms in China, for those two to merge. It's a trend that we're seeing on a global basis. But I do continue to believe that the biggest tech companies in the world are investing or at least trying to invest into building game streaming platforms. Like, to me,
0: that says a lot. One thing I never kind of understood was it seemed that Microsoft had done everything right. You know, they created a really solid platform that had great technology, great streaming ability. They invested the right amount of money and, you know, they did bring on the big streamers. And, you know, you mentioned that, you know, that kind of model of, you know, just poaching the right talent wasn't working. So does that suggest that it's impossible for any th- new player to really break into the streaming space? Yeah,
2: that's a good question. I mean, I think at a minimum, it's very, very hard. And I think to your point, I think a lot of people in the industry that were close to it would have told you that Microsoft and Mixer's tech, the technology actually backing it, is superior to Twitch. So you can even have arguably superior technology and the top content, top creators, and and not win it at that game. I think it's going to be very difficult for a new entrant to try and win market share what's the closest thing we have to anything that's being successful i mean caffeine is kind of a new entrant it's a very sticky concept and and you've had years and years of of twitch going all the way back to the justin tv days of building a community and that's something that you can't just throw money at and replicate and i think that that's true more broadly in games and in esports is you can't just throw a ton of money at a game and expect it to build a great community, right? It's It, it kind of takes years and time and you can't just put money into it and expect to get the results that are built over years of kind of development.
0: Mm. One of the things that I noticed when listening to some streamers that had moved back from Mixer back to Twitch, you know, that had left years ago. They were saying that, you know, they left Twitch initially because they felt that breaking out on the platform was becoming too difficult because the platform had gotten too large. Mm -hmm. And there were just these mega streamers that were eating up all the traffic. And once they moved to Beam... Which then became Mixer. They were being treated by the staff with a lot more attention. They were given a lot more like front page time, and they noticed that like a decent amount of their followers did follow them from Twitch to Mixer. But in the past year or so, it seemed that morale had really kind of dropped. That kind of attention that they were getting from Mixer had stopped. Uh, and th- this could have been post Ninja and Shroud deals. So. Y- So am I kind of reading into this? Like, was there a morale drop and did they just stop caring or? Yeah, I
2: mean, I think what you're alluding to is kind of the discoverability issue that you have, generally speaking, on these platforms. And to your point, Twitch is probably the most top heavy, right? It's very difficult, especially if you're brand new to Twitch. I mean, everything is about the front page and the top streamers, but that's certainly a possibility. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a totally a business decision for Microsoft, which is a a giant for-profit tech company. And I think they probably had anticipated, we're going to get Ninja and Shroud and our platform is going to take over the world. And it certainly did not play out that way. I don't know the ins and outs of how well Mixer was treating all of its people. I've seen they've done some things to try and help them with with transition, but this is completely a business decision at the Microsoft level. But once again, like the thing that I really, really don't get is the timing. You're launching the new Xbox in a few months and you pull the plug now. Like to me, that's the part that really, if you were going to try and extract as much value as you could, it would be over the next couple, few months and quarters here. For a Microsoft, the amount of money they'd make from ad revenues or or you know what, however they were looking to monetize Mixer over the long term is kind of negligible in the grand scheme of things at, at a company like Microsoft. But the amount of money they make from selling Xbox Series Xs that can be a meaningful amount of money. And if, and if you have someone like a ninja who, even though he's a PC gamer, can, you know, do organic, natural product placements for your new Xbox, that makes a ton of sense. And I think this speaks into the broader reason that I believe so much of big tech is investing into streaming platforms, right? So in China and, and in the East, we have Tencent in, bought into Huya and Doyu. Sony just invested into Billy Billy, which is kind of an anime platform that's branching into streaming, right? They signed the the big League of Legends deal for Worlds in China. You have Google with YouTube, Amazon, Twitch, Facebook, obviously merging with Mixer. I think the longer term investment on behalf of these companies, which I think a lot of people would agree are some of the smartest companies in the world, with the best data and tons of money, they're all investing into game streaming platforms, for me, it's a long-term play for customer acquisition for their other potentially higher margin products. Really, it's all about getting in front of this super valuable young audience, 18 to 35, and building relationships with those clients, those customers over the long term. But I would also say that even though we think of Twitch as a game streaming platform, I think over the next few years, it's, it's and it already has started to happen, right? Like IRL streaming is massive. Music streaming is growing. The longer term play here is just being the, like the new TV, that's going to be much bigger than anything we can kind of contemplate right now and 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 potentially even throwing e-commerce on top of that,
0: which we're starting to see hints of. So there are reports out there that say that Ninja was paid $30 million for his multi-year agreement with Mixer and Shroud was paid around $10 million uh, and that, you know, within less than a year, they got done with these deals. So, so I think some person put it Ninja did agree to the full $30 million. If that was the deal, then he, he was making about $91,000 a day with his short time at Mixer. The other piece of news that you know we've been reading is Facebook attempted to buy out their contract and even go so far as to double it, so you know, throwing another $60 million on top of that. But it seems that both Shroud and Ninja will be moving back to Twitch. Does it surprise you that they're wanting to so vehemently go back to Twitch?
2: No, because I think that... I my my guess, and obviously I haven't spoken with either of them, but I think that the appeal of signing these contracts initially with Mixer for both of them probably had to do with just simply the ability to take some money off the table after all of the hard years of grinding and streaming, you know, ten hours a day. They had the ability to kind of, you know, lock in meaningful salaries, really is what kind of they were, and take some money off the table. And I think that was the appeal of signing a deal like that and taking the risk of potentially losing some of their viewership base, which they did at least temporarily. We'll see if they get it back. Those two guys in particular, they don't need to sign a deal for the money now. They're they're set. They're set for life, arguably. And maybe they were already coming into this, but now they can really kind of approach streaming on Twitch uh, if they decide to do so in a way that they can really do it more on their terms and not burn out and, and, and really have a, a kind of more like a less pressure type Type environment in terms of providing for themselves. And then in terms of the amounts, I'm not saying this is the right thing to compare it to, but the initial Overwatch League deal was $45 million per year or reportedly. Ninja at his peak was getting like similar viewership if you like annualize it or more, well way more if you annualize it than what the, the league was. So like, I don't know, it's just a different audience but I don't know if the numbers are necessarily that crazy when you kind of look in the grand scheme of
0: things. So at that Thank you so much for jumping on, Will. Yeah, thanks so much. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan. Thank you for joining us on this more somber edition of the podcast. If you like the show, please rate, subscribe, and share. To follow Steven and all the work he's been doing, you can follow him on Twitter at IamAceHarch. To follow Will and keep up to date on the investment side of esports, you can find him at Maybe Bullish on Twitter. To follow me and my work at the New York Times, the Washington Post, and elsewhere, you can find me on Twitter at Imad. Annie Pay is our producer. Any questions regarding the show can be directed to her on Twitter at Pei underscore Annie. Joe Domek is our outreach manager and Ron Lines is our researcher. With that, we'll catch you guys next week.